Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Hello, and welcome to episode 232 of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. We're here today with Dr. Tony Robinson, founder of Speechmatics, a leading provider of automatic speech recognition technology. Tony is also the former director of Advanced Speech Group at Spinvox and the former founder and CEO at Soft Sound Limited. He's a former lecturer at Cambridge University. Tony, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Thank you very much. Thank you for the introduction. <laughs> Excellent. So uh, the first question I'd like to pose to you, what are you currently doing or what have you ever done to advance the public interest and why? Woo. Um, that's great, thank you. Um, one of the things that we believe in um, at Speechmatics is um, getting our technology into every language. Um, I was about to say every language of the world, ideally every language of the world. Um, many speech companies focus just on English as one market and one of the things that we really want to do and put a lot of time into it mm-hmm. is to bring these technologies to, well, to the whole world. Mm-hmm. It's, it's important to us. It's very important to us. And you've been developing 250,000 words per language for uh, Speechmatics, correct? Yes, it's about that. It's whatever is big enough for the user not to have to worry about it, really. So let's, So there's these... Various, I guess, hot phrases in your field. There's deep neural networks and recurrent neural networks and deep learning, um, all of which pertain to speechmatics and your doctoral work in the 1980s. Can you speak for a moment about what exactly those terms mean and how they're relevant to what we're doing here? Essentially, how has this technology evolved to the point that it is at today? Sure thing. Um... The neural networks is a very powerful machine learning um, tool which you give it a whole load of example inputs and outputs and say, go learn that mapping for me. And we use that in many, many places in speech recognition. And this really did uh, kick off really in the late 80s when I was doing my PhD I was very fortunate just by luck to be in the right place at the right time Um, had great fun doing it through that and through the 90s when applying it to speech recognition and we had great results back then for the computing power that we had available Um, what has really happened um, more recently um, is that we have GPUs, mm-hmm. which have got... And for uh, our users who don't know, could you define... Oh, sorry, they're the um, graphical processing unit is what GPU means. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gives you really good games if you have a PC. Or, um, in fact, in your um, it's what makes all of the um, iPhones and Android phones just really very snazzy because they've got a dedicated unit to making the graphics mm-hmm. looking really good. But they switched these um, ones to make them programmable. Um, and then we thought, great, we can run our neural networks on them. And then we really took off. Well, Absolutely. Just on the topic of neural networks, when I think about neural networks, I think about the human brain. Um, is, is this technology, in a sense, mimicking 
what is going on in the human brain? Are you trying to reproduce the neural synapses of the brain? Put it that way, the answer is clearly no. <laughs> Thank you. Um, we don't really try. Um, there are certain clear similarities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the processing power in the brain really does work fairly dis- distributed. It doesn't work like a normal computer program runs. It does run more like what we call artificial neural networks. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, uh, that's about the point at which they, um, um, you know, you can, you can run the analogy. Um, and so you have many of these networks, and that's why you call them recurrent? No, the recurrent one is a neat trick you can do where you feed the output of a network back to the input in the next time frame. Mm-hmm. And... Um, getting these to learn so that they can then learn sequences. They can learn sequences that come in and out. And, and that's what my PhD is, was on. And that was very relevant. It's, very, it's, it's still very relevant to speech recognition because we recognize everything, you know, what we might think of as the immediate sound you're saying now, but you don't. You recognize it in the context of, I've just met you, I know your accent, I know the... Um, surroundings that I'm in mm-hmm. and all of this other information you build it up with time and anyway the the speech sounds that you make um, are very dependent on the context of what comes before it and what comes after it. So it's what you're building you mentioned the word learn and mm. with learn I think you're, you may be inferring that there's some sort of artificial intelligence are you building artificial intelligence? And again is another good question um, I would then make a big distinction between machine learning, mm-hmm. which is getting machines to learn a particular task, mm-hmm. and artificial intelligence, which is... I don't think there is only artificial and um, biological intelligence. It's probably the same thing. Um, but that's, that, that's definitely one step beyond, hey, look, if I give you some speech, you just transcribe it, you know. There has to be thinking and all sorts of um, planning behind artificial intelligence. So I'm interested in your, I guess, philosophy behind speech matics. Why does it matter? Obviously, you've put decades into this, and you had an intellectual curiosity in this topic before you found it was commercially marketable. What exactly... I'm presuming there's something that you think about the speech technology tool that's advancing the public interest and making this world better. You mentioned earlier that you're trying to expand it to other languages, make this sort of technology available for more people. Can you speak about why it is that you originally had an interest in this and what you're trying to accomplish with Speechmatics? There's masses of things that we're trying to accomplish with it. Um... So yes, there are there are many reasons where you you really have to use speech recognition technology. So if you have a large archive of say podcasts, um, or if you're a major broadcaster and you've got everything, hey look, we've digitized it all from the tapes, you know, going back to nineteen fifties and whatever. Um, but how do we find it? Mm-hmm. There's just no way you can do anything like that without speech recognition. You just it makes it digitally searchable. You make it digitally searchable, exactly. By the time you've converted the audio into text, you can index it and, um, and then find things, and then you can find patterns in that, and you can predict what's coming up next. So 
there are many, many good reasons, um, and they follow broadly into two sorts. One is um, it's not perfect, but a person could never sit down and do it, mm-hmm. like the indexing. Um, and then the the ones where you actually do want it. So podcast transcription, we'd like it um, pretty much perfect at the end. And what perfect means is an interesting question in itself. And as a disclaimer, um, this podcast has actually paid Speechmatics to transcribe episodes for a book. So that's just for the public to know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yes, thank you. Um, and so you might edit, you know, the mistakes that we make um, and, and make it perfect. And that's a, a very interesting area for us. Um, but there are also um, lots of other really good areas which um, sort of are on the periphery of, 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 of what we do. If you have real-time speech recognition on a phone or an Android device, as, as, as we do in beta at the moment... Um, for a hearing impaired person, right. um, you can ha- have all of your, um, you know, they're very good, you know, hearing aids and directional microphones and all sorts that you've got at the moment. But if you miss that, it becomes a, what do I do? Sorry, can you say that again? Sort of thing. Mm-hmm. If you can just look down on the phone, see. Um, so you're hoping what was transcribed, then you know there's there's another potential good use. So for a, a, as a tool for a deaf person, you're envisioning real time auto transcription of something that's happening. Yes, while so, it's happening. So the, um, it's like subtitles for life. Well, so there's a subtitles for life, but of course you've just mentioned a, a much bigger one, which is look automated subtitling. Um, we it, you can either pay somebody to get it exactly right, but if you can't for whatever reason afford to to do that, put on an automatic system and it's better than nothing, you know. Expanding subtitling to lower budget films. um, It's not so much films, it's um, live TV, it's um, anything where you've got a broadcast, it's going out to lots and lots of people. and it's a way of accessing the information in there. So, Tony, a lot of what is available today simply wasn't when you were a student back in the 1980s. What was your vision? What was the problem you were trying to solve? How did you... Obviously, there were no iPhones. The Internet was in its infancy. I guess a lot of what defines today's information age was only a mere dream at best in the 1980s. What was your vision? What were you trying to accomplish? What was... Interesting to you about this? Um, it was it was speech recognition. You know, it was building it building this thing and making it work. Um, Did, and was there anything that existed at the time? Um, of course, you know, we we, we built systems, um, and if you constrain it in some particular way, because you want to do, say, radiology reports, which are quite fixed format, um, have nice big long words that are easy to recognise and then from known speakers in quiet environments. You put all of these constraints around it and we built systems in the 90s that worked. Um, now what has happened, you know, since then is that computing has become a lot you know, cheaper and more accessible, which is great, and microphones as well. Um, so all of that 
helps. Um, but, you know, we built our own huge, big arrays of um, transputers and DSP chips, and we would build our own massive sort of supercomputers as well. To, uh, it sounds like it was just a lot to, of fun. Like you were playing. Well, it was a lot of fun. You know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and because it was fun then, I still enjoy it now, you know, so it's great. So it's not even so much that you had a vision, like one day I would like all deaf people to be able to instantaneously get subtitles for any sort of audiovisual kind of material. It was more just like, this is fun, let's see what I can do. It's, it was a problem that I knew was going to take a long time to solve. and um, Or rather, we know we will never, you know, crack it. You know, there are, there's always different levels. Um, and you can plot out the progress, as we've been doing recently, um, which is you can just see, for whatever reason, um, there's, there's no cracking it in speech recognition. It's always... Look, we'll learn a little bit more about the problem, we'll come up with better machine learning techniques, mm -hmm. we'll um, loads of things, and, and we just get better and better and better every year. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's been a good story. Equations? I mean, you're trying to yeah, very much so. So, mm. so there's like, there's accents, there's languages, there is uh, all sorts of different inflections and tone and things that, that would complicate, I guess, transcription, and you're able to overcome that with mathematical equations? Indeed. It's the, it's the smart maths behind it which says, which is machine learning. Uh -huh. It says that um, provided you present the data in about the right form to the, to the algorithm, then it's the smart bit of the algorithm that, that does the real hard work. And, and getting that right has been most of the um, most of the progress yes. now, there are a lot of other competitors on the market but it seems like they're not able to do what speechmatics is able to do what do you to what do you attribute your success or their their inability to do as you do um yes there are a lot of people um, out there often they have a you know, a particular area that they go for, and um, that's fine. We decided that we wanted to tackle what is the general speech recognition problem, just whatever you might say. Um, so we tackled one of the harder problems, mm -hmm. um, and we knew from the outset that we wanted to do this in all languages. So we built this machine learning framework so that it will work in all languages. And, and that is something that, to my knowledge, nobody else has said, well, you know, we should do this. Um, so they'll build a particular system for a particular domain, and mm -hmm. sure, they'll get that working really well. Mm -hmm. But I always knew I was going to be resource-constrained, right? You know, sure. you're running a startup. There's only so much that you can do. So if you do it in a smart way, you can then say, hey, I mean, somebody came to us... Um, month and a bit ago recently, and they said, well, we challenge you. You say you can do this. Well, we want a Hindi system. And so we built them one in a, in a week. Wow. And did we know anything about Hindi beforehand? <laughs> no. <laughs> do we know anything about Hindi afterwards? A little bit more, but not an awful lot, to be honest. It came out looking really beautiful, and we thought, oh, isn't that nice? And then um, we... Um, um, somebody who, um, who, who is a Hindi so speaker... your system can learn... A foreign language, yes, without quickly. us knowing anything about it. Uh, that's somewhat magical in a way, isn't it? 
Well, it's, it's, it's wonderful for me because one of my weaknesses is that I only speak one language. And so things that I can't do and you can make the machine do, well, yeah, that's good. <laughs> so, yeah, well, so is Google Translate something completely different? Because yes. I guess it's taking written words and... And, and making it into written words, whereas we take the, the text and make it... Uh, sorry, we take the audio. the audio speech and make it into text. Now, what's yes. so difficult about taking audio speech and putting it into text other than all the things that well you just gave them <laughs> you yeah. gave me so many of them um there are a lot of different ways the to express the same thing uh-huh. you know and it might be you want to get rid of the background noise. It might be you want to, um, you know, the difference between male fe- speech, female speech, child speech. If you if you look at it as a time frequency plot, they're they're all very very different. But you know, we hear everything and and we learn all of that normalization and um, and so yeah. And there are lots of things that make it, which is why you can never say, hey, I'll write one program and I'll crack it. Like you could write a program to solve a Rubik's Cube or something like that. That's a very well-defined thing. Whereas all we're doing is doing what the job that we're doing, we're doing it better and better and better every year. And and you mentioned that you may be trying to get a fully embeddable, continuous speech recognition system. And Mm. you spoke, do you have any, what other things on the horizon do you have for Speechmatics? Where do you envision, uh, I guess, speech recognition technology developing? How do you see society being able to access new technologies through the work that you're doing? The... Well, if you take where the embeddable one is going, mm-hmm. you know, you can imagine, well, look, here I am. I might be online. I might be offline. I can make notes um, like when I was running this morning. This is exactly what I needed. I, loads of things in my head. I needed to get them down. Unfortunately, I didn't even have my phone. But, um, but, but just getting things down, um, it's communicating. It's 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 helping the world communicate, isn't it, right? I mean, speech is the most natural form for us communicating, tapping away at either a keyboard or a soft keyboard or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's much more... Um, you know, we have 26 letters. Lots of languages have lots more letters and accents and things like that. It makes it harder to use keyboards and things like that. So they... Um, it's just communicating if you if you make it work with a lot of other technologies. So we decided to do one one bit of the problem, right? We work with loads of other people, um, and they they put their bits on it. When it might be, hey, look, we have a translation system, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and now you can communicate with somebody in another language. Fantastic. We want to enable people to make those fantastic products. Now, language isn't static. Have you found any examples of how uh, this speech recognition technology is actually, uh, I guess, impacting language? Is language adapting? For instance, one could you could hear someone walk down the street and, and in conversation use acronyms that originally are texting acronyms. Yes. So it's almost as though the technology is, is impacting the development of human speech. 
do you see your technology having, and or where do you see the role of your technology in the evolution of human language in light of all the new developments in the information age? I would hope we don't really impact it at all. Our aim is to build something which is um, invisible. It works. It works for you in the background. It does just what you want it to do. You know, the whole texting thing came in because it was an impediment, right? It was hard. Mm -hmm. And so all of these acronyms came in because um, it was the only way to sensibly put things in. Do you see you know, texting so disappearing with the with with increased improved efficiency of your program? Yes. Well, what does texting become? It becomes, um, look, here's a voice keyboard. Um, and so it doesn't have to cram everything up as much. We have much bigger screens now. Mm -hmm. um, the, it's, we can talk naturally, get it transcribed, send it. Fantastic. You know, you might be able to, you want to correct one or two things if that's right. Or you might just leave it, send the audio with it. People can hear your emotion at the same time. They can get it, look at it, fantastic, I've got the message. If it's just a plain factual message, if it's, if it's one of, hey, you were at a party, you know, um, they can get all of the, the emotion behind it as well. I love this topic of emotion that you just mentioned. Mm. You know, sometimes in, in, in the thespian world, if an actor is reading a, a screenplay, there may be notes that they don't actually say, but now you're going to be surprised or now you're going to be, you know, have some more emotion. Is there any way that your speech technology might account for emotion as you try to transcribe audio? That's future work. <laughs> it's work that it's things that we're working on. Um, one of the areas is assessing people when um, when they're learning a second language, right? It's just one of the areas that we can help out with. Mm -hmm. And we can build automatic systems to say, hey, you're this good, mm -hmm. and these are the things that you need to work on, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's a wonderful thing, because you're, you, you've got the time to do it with a machine, which is very reliable, very patient, will do the same thing every time, and, and you could then just work with that to you know, improve your skills in a, in a particular area, as opposed to you know, having a hired professional in there and it becomes very expensive. So, Tony, as we approach the end of this podcast episode, I'd like to ask you a final two-part question. I'd like to ask you to reflect um, for your staff, let's say, or for all your colleagues who work with you on speech recognition technology, and I'd like you to speak to them about how this technology has been advancing the public interest, is how you would construe it as a public good. And then I'd like you to speak to them about uh, what you hope the impact of your work will be, what your legacy will be for having worked to create this new thing, which didn't exist before, as a tool for society. I think we've all... Um We've all started it knowing that it was going to be a long journey, um, and we can now really see this, um, uh, really see this coming through, which is which is great for us all. You know, there's been so many people work on speech over decades and decades, um, and you, but you can trace it all back. It's all foundations and building and building, as I've as, as I've been talking about. Uh, and we all have our own 
you know, particular interests, right? You know, I promised somebody that when, uh, this is two decades ago, that when we um, had speech recognition good enough to help the hearing impaired, I would try and get it out there. And I still intend to keep that promise, even though I've completely lost touch with that person, you know. Uh, we all have our reasons for, for doing this. Um, there are so many ways at which... Um, as I was saying before, you know, whether it's just getting access to um, information that you could never do, you know, if um, there are so many cases where you've suddenly got a large archive and, and you just need very, very quickly, I need to find, search it all for this topic. Um, and it will probably end up in our telephone answering machines, you know, and so everything all of the phone messages and emails and everything, they're all going to merge into one thing so that we can, we can see our um, phone messages just as easy as the emails. So it's coming, it's coming. I don't particularly want it to come, you know, bang, tomorrow, you know. I think it's really good that, that we do one more thing and one more thing and one more thing and then everybody, you know, can be, um, can be very happy with, hopefully, with, with what we're doing. And that has been Dr. Tony Robinson, the founder of Speechmatics, uh, former director of the Advanced Speech Group at Spinbox, and the founder and CEO of Soft Sound Limited, and a former lecturer at Cambridge University in England. And he speaks about the many different applications that the speech recognition technology might have. He speaks about how it may replace texting, uh, assist with foreign language learning, uh, provide better access to historical documents, provide new analytical insights with the power of big data, search functionalities, find, combining uh, voicemail and email into one kind of communication platform. In a sense, Tony is creating subtitles for life by uh, seeking to, uh, I guess, provide a new way for humanity to access their own communications uh, he's providing new services, new insights, new ways for individuals to communicate with each other. And ultimately, advancing the public interest often is about facilitating connections among us. And it is clear that Dr. Robinson has achieved this aim. So, Tony, I'd like to thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Jordan. It's been a pleasure. This has been another episode of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. I'll remind you to subscribe on publicinterestpodcast.com and on iTunes, leave a review of this podcast on iTunes, and listen on Stitcher, SoundCloud, CastBox, Blueberry, Player FM, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Should you wish to comment on this episode, you're welcome to leave a voicemail at 240-630-0380. And the first three minutes of that voicemail may be played in future episodes of Public Interest Podcast. Should you wish to support the podcast, you're welcome to leave a contribution in an amount that you feel comfortable with at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.